All right. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the Leaving Churchianity podcast, where we are addressing the reasons why so many people are unhappy with the modern church system and have abandoned attending church and seek their spiritual connection, their fulfillment elsewhere outside of the church building. Many people don't realize this, but as it says in the previous episode, two thirds of Christians in America have stopped attending church since the year 2000. In the last 20 years, they have lost two thirds of church attendees. And there's a lot of reasons there. And that's, that's really <laughs> the main thing that we're talking about in this podcast. And you may have heard of the current deconstruction movement sweeping across the country of people really questioning their faith and questioning the Bible, the church, the whole church system and questioning whether God even exists. And look, I get it. I've been there. I've gone through it. The church system has without a doubt morphed into really an unbiblical money hungry business. And it's really hard to argue that point or dispute that. It's just the truth. And yes, the church world, the church world has has some really good and sincere people in it, okay? I, I don't I don't dismiss that or deny that. But it is also saturated with a lot of hypocrites, a lot of abuses and greed and many corruptions, not just moral corruptions, but social corruptions and doctrinal corruptions as well. And there's no there's really there's no excuse for that. But I mean, at the same time, there has to, it has to be expected, right? Because man is flawed. Bottom line, all men are flawed and mankind will always let you down. But that doesn't mean that the established truths are not still true. That doesn't mean that the book is not true, that God is not real. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't change where we came from or why we're here or what the purpose in life is. Look, I'm not against deconstruction. In fact, I think it's helpful and healthy for people to do when they come of age and take stock of an, an ownership of their faith. Deconstruct the, the denominational religion that you may have inherited, but don't stop there. That's my encouragement. Don't stop there. Don't stop at deconstruction. Keep going and reconstruct your faith based on the actual true facts and evidences that we have in this world. That's why this podcast is here, to help you do that. The over 40,000 different denominations in Christianity today only create division and obscure the actual truths of the history of the Bible. You know, you have Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans and, and Charismatics and Assemblies of God, Church of Christ, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's so many, over 30,000, some say as, much, as many as 40,000 different denomination or sects of Christianity. And there's not 40,000 different ways to view the same scripture. Those things are man's inventions. If you hold to man's denominations, you'll always end up off the road of truth because you'll be following men and you'll be following traditions and not scripture. And man always, most of the time, has selfish motives behind it. The truth is not always the goal. But if you really want to know the truth, if you are willing to test what is out there, what you may have inherited, if you're willing to look at the actual facts and the evidences that we have, then the truth is not hard to find, especially with today's technology. 
So that's a question to ask yourself. Are you willing to test and examine your beliefs against the mountain of evidences that we have? Do you want to know if the Bible is actually true? If God really does exist? If he really did create everything? If Jesus really did exist and rise from the dead? If the earth is millions of years old or less than 10,000 years old, some say as young as 6,000 years old, what does the evidence say? Do you want to know if science and archaeology and history actually prove the stories of the Bible to be true? Do you want to know that? If you do, then stay tuned to this podcast over the next couple months because that is exactly what we're going to be covering. And let me tell you why. Because so many, just millions of people struggle with these questions, and rightfully so, honestly. There's so much misinformation being spread out there. It's, it's really hard to know the truth because there's a lot of confusion. And most people just plain, they don't have the time to research these things out for themselves. Life is just too busy. There's too many distractions. But I think these topics are so unbelievably important that we should make the time to at least listen to the evidences that we have in this world. The, the evidences that you won't hear on the evening news. You won't hear taught in your public school, in some of these textbooks. And you won't hear taught in many universities. And I can tell you this, after looking into these things over many, many years, when you get an unbiased, true look at the evidences that we have around us, it's really quite clear that the accounts that we have in the Bible, they're not just religious stuff, but they're actual history. And the science backs that up. And they're, they're so interesting to me. They're so compelling. I just wish more people and institutions would teach these things and give us the whole story, all of the evidences, both sides, not just one, so we can make our own determinations, our own decisions. We can come to our own conclusions. Not just, I just don't, I don't want people just to get a, a curated select, you know, number of things, which you get in most universities. But again, Money and power corrupts. It's just the way that it is. History has borne that out. And science organizations like NASA and such and the Smithsonian, they're, they're no different than churches in that respect. They have to pay the bills too. So with all that said, let's just jump into probably the most important topic we can deal with right off the bat. Okay, this, the supposed resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, did it really happen? Is it true? What does history actually record for us from the time period? And obviously, what implications does this topic have? What does it, what does it mean for you and me in our daily lives? This one event is what separates the message of the Bible from all other world religions. The whole thing stands or falls solely based on the validity of this one event, it is the center point, the, the foundation stone, if you will. And internet and technology and social media has it, it radically changed society and how we think. And I'm quite confident that you can see that there is, a, there is a war on truth in today's world. There is a need to educate and to counteract this massive war on truth that we're experiencing in our society today. The ability to speak freely and be viewed by millions of people for free 
is quite a responsibility. I mean, it has radically changed the world that we live in because any kid in his mom's basement with a computer or just a cell phone can now potentially impact millions of people by spewing out whatever rhetoric or fanciful ideas they can come up with. It used to be that like the TV news shows and such, they would spend millions of dollars per episode and reach what? 500,000 people. That That's a huge audience. But now <laughs> one person with a following can reach more people than that without spending a dollar on production costs or staffing and you know all that. And he can do it every day. It's incredible to think what effect that is having on society and how it's actually confusing so many people. But I, but at the same time, it's a really good thing because it there, it brings accountability, checks and balances to the media. I, I think that's awesome. But I won't I won't go down that that side road. So jumping into this thing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is it historical and all that. And now whether or not he was God is is actually not the important thing. And I know that may shock a lot of people because a lot of churches and Christians and stuff try to teach that that is the pivotal thing. And it's really not. What's important is, is he who he claimed to be? Let's not get sidetracked on the whole God issue. Is he who he claimed to be? Did God visit the earth in the first century? The greatest manifestation in our physical realm that demands a reaction And here's the question to ask, did he actually exist? Was he the long awaited prophesied Messiah that was prophesied to be sent to the Jews? Was he that? Did he die as recorded? And the pinnacle question, really, the one thing that truly, truly matters, did Jesus actually resurrect from the dead three days after dying? Because if he didn't, then he was proven to be a fraud. And he's just another, you know, delusional man who's seeking attention. But if he did, wow, that affects everything. If it really did happen, then he proved everything he had been doing and saying to be true. And that would carry the heaviest weight and significance to every single person. That would mean the Bible is actually true that we do know exactly where we came from because the Bible will be proven true. And we do know why we are here. We do know what the purpose of life and the meaning of life is, if that's true. We would know exactly why evil and bad things happen in this world. The actual, the spiritual reasons, the core truth. And we would know exactly how to think about them and how to deal with them and how to avoid them in the future. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then that means he does have the power to raise us up from the dead. And that means what he said about what happens after we die is all real. It's all true information. And we should start looking into this and taking it extremely seriously. So starting right out now, we're going to dive into just a concise study of this topic. I'm just going to pour out a bunch of legit, authenticated, well-documented facts for you, all right? that are universally accepted by not just Christian historians and Christian people or religious people, but by secular historians. And I'm going to do that for a reason, because I don't want to try to use the Bible to prove the Bible. You know what I mean? I want to look at the actual world around us, all the evidence that we actually have. 
Now, you may have heard some of this from other Christian apologists before, because some of this is very popular information because it's really strong evidence. But I'm sure much of this you will never have heard before because it is censored. It really is. Unfortunately, I didn't learn these things in Bible college or in seminary. They, they, they didn't teach them. But I had to study these things out on my own for my own information to test these things out. So I'll just give you as much of my research as I can fit within this little time limit that we have. And now look, I'm, I'm no expert, all right? I'm just a researcher. That's all. I just research that which has you know already been searched out before me. However, I then trace all these things back to their primary source and validated every single word of these for myself, okay? So you can rest assured, everything you will hear is thoroughly researched and vetted and authentic, legit ancient material written by the persons in question in the time period in question, which I think is so awesome because this is primary sources. And I believe we can in fact prove Jesus lived and that he died and obviously that he rose again. However, you know, some will try to redefine the word prove and, and whatever. They want a digital videotape or something like that. But look, you and I weren't there thousands. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. So technically, we can't prove anything by eyesight. Just like we can't prove that you know Abraham Lincoln was president. You can't, you can't prove that. But all you can do is look at the actual evidence that we have. See the mountain of evidence, look at any contradictory evidences, different arguments, whatever, and come to the most logical conclusion. I mean, it's that simple. Let me start off by giving you some world-renowned historians and what they have actually written in their books, okay? First of all, Dr. Paul Meyer, professor of ancient history, he said this, quote, no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources, epigraphy, or archaeology that would disprove that the tomb in which Jesus was actually buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter, end quote. Oxford historian William Wan says this, quote, all the strictly historical evidences that we have is in favor of it, speaking of the resurrection. And those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other grounds than that of his scientific history, end quote. E.M. Blakelock, professor of classics at Auckland University, says this, quote, I claim to be a historian and my approach to classics is historical. And I tell you that the evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts in ancient history, end quote. That's quite a statement. Clark Pinnock of McMaster University says this, there exists no document from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimonies. Skepticism regarding the historical credentials of Christianity is based upon an irrational bias he says, end quote. Remember, these are some of the leading historians in the world. Here's one, the famous F.F. Bruce from Manchester University. He says this, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt, end quote. 
but obviously they're not because they're viewed as a religious text. Here's A.N. Sherwin-White, classical Roman historian. He says this, quote, for the New Testament of Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, he says, must now appear absurd. Romans, his, Roman historians have long taken it for granted, end quote. That's quite a statement. Here's another one. Professor Thomas Arnold, okay, 14-year headmaster of rugby school in Warwickshire, an author of the famous History of Rome, and he was appointed to the chair of ancient history at Oxford University. He says this, quote, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind, which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than that the great sign which God has given us, than that Christ died and rose again from the dead, end quote. These are the best historians in the, in the world, and they clearly recognize the existence of Jesus Christ. And they, they recognize the physical resurrection from the dead as an undeniable established historical fact. But it's interesting that you don't hear these things quoted or taught. They clearly recognize that the Bible is not just the word of God, as it claims to be, but it's, it's also actual recorded history. And this one is interesting. And I would encourage you, guys, you to look this up, Google this for yourself. I mean, you can Google all this stuff for yourself. Just type in what I said and you'll, you'll find the primary sources. You've probably never heard this name, but the name is Lionel LeCou. He's a famous lawyer. He's Guinness Book of World Records for 18 years straight as the most successful trial attorney who has ever lived. In January of 1985, he got his 245th murder acquittal in a row. No one has ever even come close to that. And this is such an interesting read about this guy. He took up the challenge to investigate all of the historical evidences surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ to see if the resurrection would actually withstand legal scrutiny in a court of law. You know, how would it stand up if it was to be put on trial? This was his verdict, quote, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof that leaves absolutely no room for doubt, end quote. What an amazing thing to say by someone who is that good at investigation. It's just such a strong, it's just a, such a strong statement. And it seems to be the conclusion that all these ridiculously smart people keep coming up to up with when they investigate this thing for themselves with an open mind and actually look at the historical evidences that we have. Now, again, notice I'm not giving you the Bible to try to prove the Bible. I'm not giving you any scripture. I'm just giving you solid quotes from the best historians the world has known. Information you've obviously probably never been presented with. These are the best in their field at investigating all this historical evidences 
showing you that, look, as far as history and evidence is concerned, the only logical conclusion we can come to is that this man, Jesus, did exist. He really was crucified by the Romans in the first century, and he really, truly did rise from the dead, proving he was actually who he claimed to be. But since we're all, you know, since we're already in the mindset of historical data and evidence, what else can we learn from the historical writings of that actual time period, the ancient writings of the first century? And it's probably worth noting, you know, what are the criteria that historians use to critique and test historical documents for their, for their accuracy? I mean, if you look them up, it was, first of all, when was the source written? When was it produced? What was the date? Where was it produced? Was it local to the event that happened or was it far away? Who produced it? Who was the author of it? Was it written from any pre-existing material? And really, I mean, the, the, the main three is how long after the events was the writing recorded? Number two, is there any refuting manuscripts from the time period that would dispute it and refute it and co cause it to be exposed to be false? Now, for example, like what are some of the most historically validated events in history that, that historians just accept as being true? And how many, like how many manuscripts do we have them? How close are they to the events? For instance, Cornelius Tacitus, okay? The greatest historian of ancient Rome. We have 33 corroborating documents concerning his writings. Herodotus, the Greek historian, known for writing a detailed account of the Greco-Persian Wars. Okay, we have 109 corroborating documents about that. Everybody knows Plato, you know, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Plato has 210 documents. The Gallic Wars by Julius Caesar. The Gallic Wars were waged between 58 and 50 BC by the Roman general Julius Caesar, obviously, against the people of Gaul. There's 251 documents and manuscripts used to corroborate that. There used to be only 10, but they did find a whole, a whole bunch more. You have the Iliad by Homer, okay? The most authenticated, historically validated course of events in all of ancient history is the Iliad by Homer. There's 1,757 manuscripts, which is quite a lot. 1,700 manuscripts. But when you compare that with the New Testament of Scripture, the New Testament has over 24,000 manuscripts. Not 1,700, no, 24,000 plus manuscripts. It's the most authenticated course of events in ancient history. By far, the Old Testament has 17,000 manuscripts. Again, the quote I had from F.F. F. Bruce from Manchester University, he said, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond any doubt. But people thumb their nose at it because they view it as a religious text, not just history text. All right, so considering that all of these historians use the Bible, use scripture, and view it as a historical text, we should too. And you think about how close it is to the actual writings. When you take stuff like the Gallic Wars, which are written 400 years after the fact, but are viewed as historically sound. Well, what's the timeline of scripture? 
Okay. You have Jesus crucified at 30 to 33 AD, depending on which calendar you're using, because there's a three-year difference there. You have Paul's writings concerning the resurrection of Jesus being written and circulated between 45 and 50 AD. That's only 15 years after the fact. You have Matthew and Luke, the synoptic gospels, written in the 50s to early 60s AD, all eyewitness accounts, writing saying, look, this is what we saw. This is our accounts, our telling of it. You have Mark, who is likely written from Peter's perspective as obviously another eyewitness, pretty much the number two person in the story. And you have Luke, the historian, the physician, extremely detailed person, extremely detailed in his facts as he testifies, and all of which could easily be proven wrong if he didn't get his facts right, because this was a huge event in history. And a lot of facts were given in these writings and circulated around. And Luke also had a reputation to protect, obviously. He was a self-professed historian. He was the physician of the area. And he says in his own writing in Luke chapter 1 that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning in order to convey the certainty of the message. It says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty about the things of which you have been taught. That's a direct quote from Luke. He's very detailed in what he was writing here. Luke claimed he was being extremely meticulous in researching every detail to record his historical account. Remember, all these accounts are actually written by actual eyewitnesses living at the time, during the time of all these other eyewitnesses in the area who were still alive at the time of these writings and passing these writings around who could refute any of these claims that were being made by these guys. They're making all these claims about the resurrection. Anybody could say, eh, that, that's not true. I was there. We were all there. He's still in the tomb. Look, we, we can go. We can see the tomb is still sealed. We can produce the body if we wanted to. I mean, the bottom line is the historical documentation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just overwhelming when you really look into it and consider what it is that you're reading. And if we aren't going to believe the documentation from all of these eyewitnesses that were there, I mean, we might as well throw out all of the historical documents that we have. It was eyewitnessed by many people and contemporaries of eyewitnesses, recording it all in history during the time when plenty of people could have refuted it and actually had tremendous motive to refute these claims. Yet history records this, there's this massive explosion of converts and martyrdom after the fact. And what's interesting to me is there's no refuting documents of that time period to discredit it. Zero manuscripts. 
have ever been recovered from that time period that attempt to discredit or refute the claims of all these eyewitnesses. You have all these eyewitnesses going around making all these claims, writing all these documents, over 24,000 just in the New Testament documents alone, let alone the, the, uh, the early church fathers and all that. There's just tens and tens of thousands of documents talking about this from the time period. And there's zero manuscripts that we have that try to refute it or make claims against it. There's zero from that time period. That is such a strong case for it. If you think about it, if we just look at the historical evidence and let the evidence guide us to its conclusion, we really have no reason not to believe it. If we were going to approach this topic in like a court of law, I mean, the evidence is just, it's just overwhelming. And all of these things are being recorded within 15 to 20 years after the events of these eyewitnesses. I mean, they're during the lifetimes of the people who were there. We don't have anything from ancient history that even comes close to this level of accurate historical documentation. I mean, just think, think about it. It's just, it would just be illogical to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you're going to do it based on the historical evidence that we have. There's just, there's no logical way to come to that conclusion. The, uh, the evidence is just overwhelming. And he didn't just leave an empty tomb for us to like, you know, make assumptions about, right? He, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the other women who were with her there. He appeared to the Roman guards who fell over in fear and testified of this. He went and he appeared to the 11 disciples multiple times. He even ate with them, caught fish, made fish, ate bread, sat there and ate with them. He appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. Remember that in the end of the book of Luke. He appeared to James, his brother, John, who wasn't even a believer, I might add. John didn't, or I meant to say James. His brother, James, didn't even believe in him until the resurrection. See, that's the thing. He made these claims where he didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He wasn't this Messiah, whatever, because he was his earthly brother. And then something happened. And then James completely changed his tune and spent his entire life worshiping his brother. That doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it must've been some really strong evidence to cause him to make that change in his life, right? Jesus went on and appeared to over 500 brethren at one time. And so, yeah, there's 500 brethren. Yeah, but how many women and children are there? There could have been 1,500 people there that he appeared to. And he did this for 40 days. It's not like it was all like this vision or this apparition, you know, or some people were, you know, maybe they had a hallucination or whatever. No, it's not like that. It's very significant that he was seen by so many people. I mean, this explains why so many people were converting to follow Jesus just in mass droves. I mean, it's recorded that over 3000 converted to follow him just in one day. How could this resurrection belief catch on if he didn't really rise? How could the disciples convince anyone? Everybody, I mean, everybody knew about it. This was a major crucifixion. The whole city was there. They would want proof. They would ask around. I mean, did anyone see him? Does anyone know anyone who's seen him? I mean, obviously, that's what they're going to do. 
And there's hundreds and hundreds of people who've seen him, not just seen him, interacted with him, but saw some other people raised from the dead as we hear in the rest of the story. And history records all of this. Yet secular, non-biblical history records, if you think about this, that thousands of people were converting to follow this Jesus guy. We have that recorded in secular history, not just in the Bible. And they were converting to the point that they were would were willing to die for their belief. That's how hostile this belief was. You have all these people being killed in the name of Christ, being martyred for that, and they're not recanting their profession. They're not recanting. They're going literally to death for this belief. So, I mean, you think about it logically, what else could have happened that would cause people to be that devoted to him when not a year before there wasn't that many people devoted to him. He didn't have that big of a following. So what would it be? Well, what are the other possible explanations here? Because I can't think of anything. No, they had credible eyewitnesses, all these co- corroborating messages. Even 30 years later, there's someone, there's someone in every crowd who has seen him alive. I mean, 500 eyewitnesses at once, meaning you know, close to 2,000 witnesses who know a bunch of other people, all their family and friends, and they go tell everyone what they've seen and how they interacted, the conversation that they had. I mean, it's going to continue to be passed down through family history and, you know, grandpa to son to grandchild and, and so on. There's no other event that could cause that many people to give their lives to corroborate a lie. I mean, who, who's going to who, do that? Logic would conclude the story has to be true. And think about this. What do you do with the disciples' actions after the crucifixion? I mean, they're writing down all these records. And first of all, they're not recording themselves in a positive light. I mean, they're recording many of their faults and failures and their doubts and their sheepishness, their cowardice, if you will. And then there's this massive change in them. Before the crucifixion, they were cowards. They fled when he was arrested. Peter denied him three times. I mean, what would cause them from going from cowards to being bold enough to risk their own lives, even to go to death for this story? I mean, you'd think if he never rose again, they would just be, they would just shut up and stop spreading this this thing. They would just go back to being fishermen, being tax collectors, being all the different things that they were in their previous jobs. But they didn't. Instead, they devoted their lives to it. Why would they do that if the tomb was still there, if it was still sealed, if the body was still in it, if anybody could go there and produce the body? I mean, you think and instantly prove them to be liars. Instantly. But that's not what history records. It records that the tomb was busted open and the body was gone. And you have hundreds and hundreds of people interacting with this guy who literally rose from the dead after the most gruesome form of punishment, torture, and death that man has created. I mean, he was stabbed right through the heart for crying out loud, and blood and water came out. The man was undeniably dead. So you think about it, I mean, if he didn't rise from the dead, the disciples would know that he wasn't who he claimed to be. They would know he was a fraud. The prophesied Messiah was supposed to be able to beat death and raise again. You don't need a degree in human psychology to figure this one out. Nobody goes 
and gives their life to die for what they know to be a lie. Obviously, if the people think something is true, yeah, they'll die for it. But if all the disciples knew that he didn't rise from the dead, they're not going to go out and do what they did. I mean, think about it. The disciples wanted to sell a lie, start a religion, sell this lie, get rich, you know, get popular, get famous. Wouldn't you think that they would maybe go to a distant land or something where nobody knows them, where there's this mystery and this ambiguity, you know, nobody knows Jesus, they can't prove it. Wouldn't they go start it there rather than literally in Jerusalem where he was crucified? You would think so. But they preached this message right there in Jerusalem, right there with the Roman army, with all the Jews who hated Christ, who literally put him to death. This is where they chose to start preaching this message, where they could have just produced his body, proved them wrong. And you think of the story, and they, they also used women. I mean, women were not viewed highly at all in ancient culture, and they used them as eyewitnesses. I mean, that, that doesn't add up. Not a whole lot of credibility there. It's, it's not smart. It's not logical if you want to establish something is true and you want as much credibility as you can get. Doesn't make sense. But it's just amazing that all of their lives changed. Peter, James, John. You think of Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians before. If Jesus stayed dead, then Saul would have been proved right. That's what he wanted. He thought the religion was crazy. What event other than interacting with the actual resurrected Jesus would have caused him to completely change his life direction, to leave his little army force and to join the group that he was so violently persecuting that was terrified of him and thought that he was just you know a plant to try to kill them? What event would have done that? It, it doesn't make sense. The only thing that would have done that is if he truly did meet the resurrected Jesus and his life was transformed. Even secular historians believe that, look, at a minimum, the disciples believed that Jesus had from the, risen from the dead. Even atheistic historians admit that. So what else would cause his disciples to believe this so passionately? It's not that they were hallucinating. Someone has a hallucination, they have a hallucination, whatever it is, they're on drugs, whatever it is. You don't have group hallucinations. You don't have a dozen people all having the same hallucination and then having it for like 40 days straight and walking around and interacting with this person. That doesn't happen, okay? You can't logically get to that conclusion. Hallucinations don't eat food with you. They don't make you food. They don't converse with you over several weeks. Remember, Jesus had to convince them that it really, truly was his. Such as Thomas, you know, when he showed up in the, in the room and said, touch my hands, touch my side. You can see the, the holes where I was crucified. You can see the gash in my side where the spear went in. Okay, hallucinations don't do that in front of a group of people. And again, any hallucination could have been cleared up real quickly by going back to the tomb and seeing it undisturbed and the body still in there. All right, well, those are a couple themes to think things to think about right off the bat and talking about this. And I, I got a little bogged down. There's just, there's so much evidence in history. There's so much, there, there's no way we could go through it all. But I've got pages and pages of more quotes from 
history from, I have pages of people from the first century, from that time period, within a hundred years and all the quotes and what they actually wrote in their writings. And you don't hear a lot of this stuff. You just don't hear this stuff being, being taught or proclaimed. And it's super interesting, but I don't want to make this episode too long. So I'm going to cut this thing off. And then within the next week, we'll just, we'll put up the next episode and we'll just keep going through a mountain more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope you find it interesting. I hope you find this evidence compelling and reassuring that your faith is not based on myths or a fanciful story, but is actually a logical faith based on established, verified historical fact. And I hope it gives you things to think about that you've never thought about before. Because this is the most important event that has ever happened in human history. And the mountain of evidence that we have really demands that we spend a little bit of time and acknowledge it and deal with it. And let me just take a minute and say, if you like this topic and this content, then please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you know someone who wrestles with this question of Christianity and whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, whether or not he's legit and really existed, and if you know anyone who questions the validity of the Bible or whose faith could possibly be strengthened by this content, then let me ask you, please share this episode with that person so they could be exposed to this content because it could be really helpful for them and be the defining point in their faith journey because this is not some tiny little claim. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other founder didn't make these claims. Every other founder didn't do these miracles. Every other founder of all these other religions and different philosophies, nobody rose from the dead. Okay, Buddha is still dead. Muhammad is still dead. Jesus is the only thing that separates all these other religions, all these other belief systems. And again, look, they all have conflicting teachings, right? All of them. None of them agree. So by, I mean, logical conclusion, since we're using logic today, they can't all be right. Either one is right or none is right. Because they all conflict. The messages are cannot be reconciled. So which one is right? Are any right? Well, I think you're seeing there's a whole bunch of evidence to say, look, so far, Scripture is right. Jesus really did exist. He really did rise from the dead. At least that's what the evidence is suggesting. But anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. We'll pick this up in five days or so when the next episode comes out we'll keep going with this and we'll move a bunch faster through the rest of the evidences that we have so until then i hope god blesses you and i hope you guys have a great week